Shea butter and popcorn. <laughs> okay, let's start the show. Season 4の準備をしなさい。Preparati per la stagione 4. Sit back, relax, and listen. Friday's gonna have you glistening. Get ready for a real good vibe. Shea Butter and Popcorn. Now live. Welcome to Shea Butter and Popcorn with Taj and Chels, Season 4, Episode 17. Shea Butter and Popcorn is the podcast where your neighborly film fanatics review our favorite films and shows. My name is Chelsea, aka Chels, singer, actor, blogger, podcaster, and all around movie lover. And it's Tajiana, also known as Taj, also actor, filmmaker, lover of black stories, black narratives, black everything. Welcome or welcome back. Yes, this week is Decade Duty. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Bringing it back, bringing it back. Whoop, whoop. The 1980s, y'all. The 1980s. <laughs> Oh my God. Windbreakers, Nike, Pepsi ads, Michael, Whitney, Prince, coming to America. <laughs> Where's my disco ball? <laughs> It's the decade of excess, you guys, and the emergence of the working woman in middle America. Be gone, ye housewife. <laughs> We're stepping into a new day. Right? I love it. People start、Very、going、nice、to era. Right? Women start going to work. I mean, you had. Oh my God. You had the movie Mr. Mom, which came out about late 80s, early 90s. It's like, it was, it's like times are changing. The tables have turned, okay? Times are changing. Battle of the Bell, New Attitude. I'm every woman.、Uh, you know, Chaka Khan. Everybody. We just. Chaka Khan? Chaka Khan? <laughs> I love it. We're here for that. Oh my gosh. So, so fun. Let's get into our movies. First up is Places in the Heart, 1984, written and directed by Robert Benton, available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. Now, this is such a heavy movie, but it's really good. It holds an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 83% rating by Google users. And, you know, let me just preface this by saying Google is just, it's nicer, it's warmer. Google users care about <laughs> the movies, I feel. Rotten Tomatoes is like, I guess it's like the Simon, and Google users are the Paula. Yeah, basically.、Uh, this film made $34.9 against a $9.5 million budget. So there you go, it really racked up. And because it's such a heavier movie, I feel like Rotten Tomatoes rated it a little bit higher. Rotten Tomatoes loves a good melodrama. Oh, they、so, love it. They do. They're like, what? Somebody's sad, somebody's dying. What?、Yep. Yeah, automatic getting bumped up one whole rating. Like, no. They love it. They're messy. That's what they are. <laughs> They're messy because Rotten Tomatoes, get it? They're messy. So they love the mess. They love it. We figured out their algorithm. <laughs> It's just got to be messy. That's what they love. It's fine. So in 1935, rural Texas, during the Great Depression in Waxahachie,、uh, recently widowed Edna Spaulding, played by Sally Field, struggles to survive with two small children, a farm to run, and very little money in the bank. Not to mention a deadly tornado and the unwelcome presence of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, really heavy stuff. Edna is aided by her beautician sister, Margaret, played by Lindsay Krauss, a blind boarder, Mr. Will, played by John Malkovich, and a would be thief, 
Mose, Moses, played by Danny Glover. So, who decides to stick around to teach Edna how to plant and harvest cotton? Moses does. Yeah, he does. This movie is beautifully, beautifully told. The beginning is very dark and it's quite unfair. One afternoon, the local sheriff, Royce Spaulding, her husband, goes to investigate gunshots at the rail yards. And a young black teenager, Wiley, is drunk. And the gun, which he thought was now empty, accidentally goes off, killing the sheriff instantly. So local white vigilantes lynch Wiley by tying him to a truck and dragging him through town until dead or hanging his body from a tree. John Malkovich is like the only comedic relief in this whole film and the potential love interest of Fields' character. Ed Harris is in this movie as Wayne Lomax, who's in love with school teacher Viola Kelsey, played by Amy Madigan, although she's a married woman and he is married a married man to Margaret, the hairdresser, who is played by Lindsay Krauss, who is the sister of Sally Fields' character. And just the way it's so interwoven, it reminds you of like Gary Marshall has his characters. All lives are intertwined, but at the same time, it's just really, really sad and melodramatic. But Moses really um, steps up and he is the Moses. <laughs> it's funny. And he really lives up to his name in this film and just teaching Edna to have a strong head, on her shoulders and teaching her to stand up for herself and support her family, even though her husband was killed, um, unfortunately. And, you know, this movie hits home because even though I grew up in Frisco, when I was really little, until about seven or eight, I lived in Waxahachie. (laughs) Waxahachie is a really super, super, super small town. Oh, my goodness. My mother was a theater teacher back then at the local high school. My father owned his own restaurant. It was just eerie watching this movie because they filmed on location. And I remember the first time I watched it, which was recently last year, it was like, oh, my God, look, that's like the city hall. I remembered all the landmarks, the library, all of that. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is like really in Waxahachie. Sally Field won her second Academy Award in 1985, the first for Norma Ray, which I reviewed last month for our Decade Duty, all about 60s. Um, this film also won, oh, excuse me, all about 70s, but this film also won for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, Best Costume Design, and Best Picture. It's a really great movie. Um, it ages, <laughs> it ages pretty well because there's some, there's a lot of truths to this movie that still are relatable today. And it's kind of cool, although odd to see like a young Ed Harris and young John Malkovich, but you'd enjoy it. Next up on my list. Is Private Benjamin. We're going to get a little lighter. This one is definitely more fun. 1980, directed by Howard Zeef, available on HBO Max. So this film holds an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes with 85% of Google users enjoying it and made about $70 million against a budget of $15 million. Really broke records. Um, it's about a Jewish-American princess named Judy Benjamin, played by Goldie Hawn. Kate Hudson's mom, yes, very talented actress. She's devastated when her husband, played by Albert Brooks, drops dead on their wedding night. While she grieves, a duplicitous recruiter for the Women's Army Corps convinces her to enlist. <laughs> Judy thinks her enlistment's like a vacation, but Captain Lewis, played by Eileen Brennan, quickly dashes her hopes of an easy time. So as Judy goes through basic training like any other grunt, she becomes a good soldier and develops a sense of self-esteem. So this movie's hilarious. It's every bit of escapism we all need, but it touches on women rising to the top and a man 
a male dominated space and world. And it's imperative to choose yourself, become your own heroine, girl power, female empowerment. You guys would definitely enjoy that one. Last up. <laughs> I didn't say the best for last. Y'all gonna be so sick of me. Cause I also talk about the Barbara Streisand, whatever. Um, I'm talking about Yentl, 1983, directed, written, produced, and starring Barbara Streisand. Okay. All right. She had to give her her flowers. (laughs) Directed, (laughs) written, produced, and starring Barbara Streisand. Okay. Right. Hello. Also written by Jack Rosenthal. Available to rent on Amazon Prime. I love this movie. Oh my gosh. It's essential. Essential watch. This film holds 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's so incredible. Seriously. Please do better Rotten Tomatoes. Come on. I feel like they're also afraid of female directors, maybe. Are they? Mm, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. They are. Certainly. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) They are. They're they're afraid. It's fine. It was excellent. Holds 82% rating by Google users. Made $40 at the box office against a budget of $16 Oh, so good. Ravi Mendel is a single father who teaches the Talmud, a sacred text of Judaism, to the boys of his small Polish town. But behind closed doors, he also instructs his daughter, Yentl. Despite the fact that girls are forbidden to study religious scripture, it's completely illegal. But when Yentl's father dies, she still has a strong desire to learn about her faith, as she should, as she should. Okay, she's ahead of her time. So she disguises herself as a boy as a man and enrolls in a religious school and unexpectedly finds love along the way. Oh my God. This movie's so good because it's like, she's not supposed to do it, but she does it anyway because she just has a yearning for learning and doesn't care that she's taking up space in a male dominated society, especially since it's a period beast. And she ends up falling in love, even being an independent woman. It's like the song Miss Independent by Kelly Clarkson. And she falls in love with this guy. And it's, so good even though he's betrothed to someone else and what's funny is her as a man his fiance the guy that she falls in love with <laughs> falls in love with her <laughs> not knowing that Yentl is a girl so this movie's hilarious <laughs> it's also like a weird love triangle um it's very bittersweet I won't ruin it for you, you guys gotta watch it Barbara Streisand won two Golden Globes, one for her acting and one for directing, so not too shabby. Oh, my gosh. The soundtrack is top tier. Papa, can you hear me? Tomorrow night, No Wonder and A Piece of Sky are my absolute all-time favorites. So please watch Yentl. Do yourself a favor. Check that out. Those are my movies for this week. Taj, you let them know what yours are. We love a good (laughs) love triangle. Um, Wow. I love it. Um, the eighties, um, is such a, such an interesting time for black cinema. Specifically, I think it was really the emergence of Spike Lee, um, that's really, I think, put things in motion. Um, I <laughs> will be reviewing three of his films, um, because they're just amazing. And Spike just, he's, he doesn't get, um, the recognition that he deserves and, it's just um, his stories are so dynamic and so just such a, a a very interesting and unique and I feel like eclectic depiction of of black livelihood over time. So, um, starting with um, his actually his first feature, um, she's got to have it. Um, 
obviously, as you guys know, he, he stars in a lot of his films, especially from back in the day as well. Um, but She's Gotta Have It came out in 86. Um, it's a romance indie film. And it's essentially about, you know, a black woman and her three lovers. So um, some of you might have seen the series that um, that actually came from this film. Um, they are both on Netflix for viewing. Um, it actually is doing good. It has 91% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 90% mm-hmm. of, um, 90% of Google users like this movie. So super excited about that. Um, they, they let it pass. Um, but yeah, so, um, it centers Nola Darling. Um, and she basically can't decide what type of man she wants to date. So she decides to date three men at the same time. The first one is Greer Childs. <sighs> Disgusting. A rich, <laughs> handsome narcissist. Then there's Jamie Overstreet. Um, he's a stable, overprotective alpha male, whatever that means. Um, he's just so, he's just so just, um, very, I feel like abrasive. Um, finally, he's like, I'm a man. <laughs> right. Like we get it. Finally, there's Mars Blackman, who is actually played by Spike Lee and he is a timid geek with a heart of gold and just so, so weird. So interesting. Um, unfortunately, while each suitor has um, his own virtues, Nola can't seem to make up her mind. So it's a very interesting uh, depiction of just, I think, the commentary of, you know, Black women and the, you know, um, Black women expressing themselves through their sexuality and putting that comparison. There's um, a few pieces of dialogue that highlight it, but the comparison between, you know, men and their sexuality and it, and expressing themselves of like, I was like, it's wrong for you to be doing this. Um, but I also <laughs> want to be doing this as well. So it's very interesting. I do believe that the series that was birthed out of this, um, was a very, very, um, a, a nice modern take on this film, um, that he did, you know, with the low budgets, his first feature. And, um, the series came out in 2017. It ran two seasons. Um, I actually, when I went to New York for, a entertainment, uh, media and entertainment conference, um, a couple of Mays ago, <laughs> I got the chance to go to his, um, outside of his production, um, company, like, um, I guess it was like the, the production company studio office situation, um, 40 acres and a mule. And they had the, um, they have a lot of the art from the 2017, she's got to have it series. And it was a very nice modern take. The, the cinematography obviously is like so different. The way the characters, you know, manifest themselves, definitely very interesting. But I think it was a very, you know, is an interesting, like it's a direct replica, but like, you know, specific to their times. You know, his first film was in, you know, all black and white. Um, the, the tone of the, the film, it, it moved so, so slow. And it was so like, um, I feel like it just matched kind of like the, um, the, the shots were very sensual, if you will. I feel like it matched what the, the story is highlighting and, and with the series, it's more colorful and, um, obviously, you know, a little bit more dynamic shot composition. Um, his, you can see how his style has kind of, um, you know, the evolution of Spike's style of storytelling over time. 
Um, and I just think that it's amazing that he got to um, work on the same project twice in a way. Um, yeah. Is that awesome. the movie? The movie now the show is obviously in color, but the movie's like black and white. Yeah. But then there's the yeah. one scene that's in color, which is cool. There's one, yeah. There's the one scene that's in color, and and he like uses a lot of a lot of um, just I don't know a lot of POV a lot of shots where, you know, the character will have more headroom than usual. Um, you know, he uses, he intercuts them with, you know, kind of like testimonial <laughs> interviews to the camera, um, which he also replicates in the, in the series. Um, I just think that he uses great devices to tell, you know, these narratives and stories of like all these different characters trying to get their piece across. So um, this film is definitely dope. Um, you should definitely watch it if you like comedy dramas um it was written produced and edited by him and directed by him um and so it, it definitely launched his career as it got a lot of positive reviews from it um so yeah you guys should definitely definitely watch that um and obviously rotten tomatoes are approved so go watch it <laughs> um his next film or the next one that i'll talk about actually yeah it came out this man just puts out projects like nobody's business mm-hmm. um School Days, two years later in 88, um, also on Netflix. This one got a 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. It wasn't rocking with it. 84% of Google users liked it. Um, so essentially, there's a HBCU um, that these characters are, um, um, that they are attending. So um, Mission College um, highlights uh, basically the, it's the location that highlights everything where everything's taking place. It's the main setting. And it says the activist minded Dap, who is actually um, played by the illustrious Lawrence Fishburne, um, immerses himself in a world of political rhetoric and social movements. One day he hopes to rally the students as a united front. And on the other end of the spectrum, um, Julian, who is actually played by um, Giancarlo um, Esposito, who, if you guys are familiar um, plays um, the father in the get down um, is the head of the biggest fraternity on campus and is more concerned with maintaining a strict social order um, in between Dab's conflicted cousin half pint who's played by spike lee spends most of his time rushing the fraternity i don't understand why why spike puts himself as the awkward character or the like the like I don't know, like the, the character with like a lower status, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious to be like, okay, I'm the director. All right, action. And now let me go into like this completely different mode. It's oh hilarious God. to me. Um, but School Days is, is a comedic, um, musical that, my gosh, I mean, it has so many heavy hitters. Jasmine Guy is in here, Tisha Campbell Martin. Um, the list goes on. A lot of people from, um, a different world um beloved beloveds um i i definitely think that this this just revealed a lot about the struggle of black society in the 80s and the time period of like um you know basically making sure that hbcus have visibility the importance of you know fraternities <laughs> and it's just definitely comedic portrayed <laughs> throughout the fraternities i i yeah. yeah i called school days colorism the movie because it's literally like yes light skin versus I, light skin the end yeah and that's what i was going to talk about <laughs> is like 
definitely <laughs> love how mm-hmm. I, I thought it was so interesting how he engaged the conversation of colorism through a musical and like the you know how how it's so polarizing and like the opposite you know each side of the spectrum what the points of view are um I I definitely was taken aback by that bit and I think that that was just so interestingly portrayed and I'm oh my gosh the rehearsals Jesus but I think that <laughs> It definitely highlights, uh, I mean, with all his films, um, whether it's about, you know, black plight or if it's, you know, just showing showing our, our lives in general. He uses the, um, this scene and also, of course, the other scenes in the movie in regards to fraternities and what we go through to, you know, um, say you stand for brotherhood. Um, and, and there's some some heavy scenes with that as well. Um I just think that it was just such a unique way to have that conversation. And and once again, his devices of breaking the fourth wall and like having people talk to the camera, um, not as much, not heavily um, threaded throughout this film, but in, in specific part. Um, but I, I definitely think that he, and he covers a lot in one film, which is why you have to watch his movies so many times, because it's just like you hit so many things. Um, and I think that there's a way that he went about doing that in this film that was very um, unique and I think was necessary in terms of the time. I, I'm, I'm sure college students during this time, you know, were watching it and like, yep, classism, yep, you know, hazing, okay, you know, um, you know, hair texture bias, colorism, you know, all, all these different things. Um, so it was based on his experiences as, as a Morehouse um, student. So um, yeah, I, I definitely think that having that experience definitely served him well. Um, especially highlighting it, you know, during homecoming weekend and just, it was a lot of camaraderie and I think it served it well to, to have that musical element as well. And always with the comedy, (laughs) he makes me laugh a lot. Um, speaking of laughing because of all of the (laughs) intense interactions in this film, his next film, uh, in my gosh, this dude, the next year. (laughs) 89 do the right thing uh probably one of his most popular films uh also a comedy drama it's um actually on hulu if you guys want to watch it going back up in the ratings 93 percent on rotten tomatoes 86 percent of google users like this um but if you are not familiar um highlights sal who is the italian owner of a pizzeria in brooklyn um a neighborhood local bugging out um also played by giancarlo um, becomes uh, upset when he sees that the pizzeria's wall of fame exhibits only Italian actors. <laughs> Bugging Out believes a pizzeria in a black neighborhood should showcase black actors, but Sal disagrees. The wall becomes a symbol of racism and hate to Bugging Out and to other people in the neighborhood and tensions rise. This, the timing and the beats of this film, I think are what really sells it the most. Um, do the right thing. Um, and, and just the title in itself is like just so it's just such a testament to his, you know, want and passion for telling stories that highlight the black experience that are, you know, social commentary, um, which is why he's one of my favorite filmmakers ever. Um, it was actually the feature film debut of Martin Lawrence. Um, and it, it highlights, um, Samuel J- Jackson and, and some other folks who are also in, in school days. Um, Ruby D and and I just feel like everybody who he works with is always so so talented um and just I, I feel like they just do what they have to do. Um he uses a lot of Dutch angles to show when characters are disoriented, 
a lot of close-ups, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people are yelling and spitting it's into yeah. the camera. I'm like, whoa, it's so intense. Mm-hmm. But that's like that's the beauty of him portraying these conversations of like, you know, it is comedic to be like, there should be some black actors upon this. Well, how y'all gonna come into this this man's pizzeria shop and, and you know, go off and do all these things, but also, you know, looking at around at the the setting in their neighborhood you know you totally see where everybody's coming from so um it's you know it's also on a you know this is happening on a you know hot summer day a lot of racial tension and and things is happening when you know that's an added uh element of irritation is like when it's hot everybody irritated and like what to me it's so like I this is his most it's so yeah do the right thing is his most it's it's gonna sound odd to y'all but whatever it's his shakespearean movie because like Roman mm, Juliet yeah. for now these hot days is in yeah. that blood stirring because it's hot and like the racial tensions and the drama i'm not gonna ruin it y'all yeah but it's, it's very much like shakespeare because of the red and it's like the prologue mm. you know the prologue of um Roman and Juliet is like it's the same with like the prologue for him is you know fight the power and mm-hmm. you know Rosie Perez fight the power in the beginning yeah you know? so it's very much like yeah. a Shakespeare piece to me but. oh so Shakespearean mm-hmm. um he his just shot composition and and set design in general is everybody you know back then wore you know a lot of black, baggy colorful clothing Everything is so colorful. All the shots are very strong. You know, I feel like it's most known for you have one shot of, of you know, a bugging out the, those close-ups, but also you have, you know, um, the love-hate <laughs> rings towards the camera um, with the fish. And I just, it's, it's always so interesting to watch his films and like, what's going to be the next scene? What's going to be the next frame? What's about to happen um, but yeah, I just love all the devices that he uses in his films. And I feel like I can't even, yeah. I, I can take two hours to just really, you and know, his films are always ex- his artistry. His, his films are always extremely political. And I know that's what he always mm-hmm. gets the brunt of criticism for. People are like, okay, it's not. I mean, that's his brand. Like that's that what he wants to do. But the one movie that's not political, which, okay, this has to be my favorite Spike Lee movie. It's <laughs> the 90s, 1990, but I'll just say Mo Better Blues. I mm. love Mo Better Blues. It's he was like, let me take, let me, let me step out real quick. Music <laughs> and and jazz and love, but at the same time, like gambling and addictions and like it's Mo Better. And that Blues, was the next. Like, that was the next year, which is in, insane. In, in 1990, I don't understand how this man like so he must good. have had his whole idea board. Was like, okay, I'm gonna write this script. When we come home from set on this movie, I'm gonna finish the script. <laughs> I'm like, I don't right? understand how and he Den- works so Denzel fast. Denzel Washington and that is, yeah, it's yeah, that I and that oh my gosh, gosh, <laughs> my Malcolm X as well, and yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I don't understand. Um, I, I just, I, I would love to, to meet him and just, and just pick his brain. But um, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely, um, love love all his films that I that I've watched thus far and I definitely have to take you know another watch over them as well especially as like as an actor but also as a filmmaker as well to just like really like dissect and and take everything in so Spike if you ever hear this giving you your flowers brother and we love you um but yes you guys can watch all his films um they're all on streaming services um at least the ones that I mentioned now Netflix and then Hulu if you have a premium subscription um, but those are my picks. 
Awesome. So much great stuff, you guys. Please, please, please watch oh, these yeah. movies because they're so good. Thank you for listening, you guys. Next week, we're going back to school. Like school days. Oh, yeah. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right? For real. Our film film history, y'all. Film history class will be in session. We're discussing historical (laughs) dramas. Drama. 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 Save the drama for your mama. Historical drama. It's going to be good. It'll be fun. Follow us on social media to stay updated. On this podcast, all things Shea Butter. On Twitter, at Shea Butter Pop. On Instagram, at Shea Butter Popcorn. Or individually, please follow us. Follow me at Chelsea G Music on Twitter or Instagram. You can follow me at Tajana Okechuku on Instagram and at Tajana Tweets on Twitter. Yes. Let us know what you thought. What? What? what, what? Let us know. Let us know. You know, what do you want to hear next? What's your favorite? Favorite 80s film, favorite Spike Lee film, anything. Let me know if you want me to stop talking about Barbara. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I won't. You know you're not going to listen to them. (laughs) She's going to be like, that's interesting that you think that way. Um, (laughs) I will proceed to ignore. Um, it'll It'll be fine. Right? Let us know if you think that female directors you know need a bigger spotlight and why or do you think that there is enough representation you know or is there not enough let us know mm-hmm. we're here for you <laughs> our listeners y'all come on oh we're here for you help us to help you exactly <laughs> see you all next week alrighty have a good week